This uh, Tyler Town, Tyler Town, Mississippi, First Baptist Church. Oh, you don't have to worry. They got so much Holy Ghost down there, it's hard to walk around in that place. Yeah. Tyler Town, Mississippi. Our cultures, our circumstances and situations will all have some part to play in our manifestations. You understand that? And that should. You know, people always said, well, that's a black church. They just get crazy. Well, no, 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 no. Wait, wait. No, wait. Excuse me just for a minute. They have a glorious, built-in, God-given rhythm and way of worship that is magnificent. And just because you're a Caucasian, or just because you should never, never think that how someone else worships is weird. Does worship is worship. <laughs> Let's all say worship is worship. But I will tell you one thing. One thing that is common throughout, no matter whether you're, no matter whether you're black, white, Brown. We just, got, we just got all the Mexicans here. Brown. No matter. Worship. Worship. Let's all say worship. worship. Yeah, and dynamic worship. Dynamic. If you're from the islands, they have a way. They, I'll never forget Brownstown. Uh, I, he, there was a, a, a man who used to lead the praise. He, he'd be going, and he had a he, I'll never forget, 40 years ago, he'd be going long to go. I thought, man, I wish I could do that. I tried it and I hurt myself. Yeah. Because one thing is common, though, a dynamic worship, however it manifests in you. But I'll tell you one thing. There's no such thing as anybody anywhere of any culture or any tribe or any nation who can not give glory, who has this thing about, well, but I'm British, so I don't move. No. No, because the Holy Ghost will move you. Yeah, the Holy Ghost will move you. You may not move the same way, but you're going to move somehow. Is that right? Did you did you get tanked up? Did you get enough? Did you get I noticed you were getting drunk early on. Yeah. Hebrews chapter six. You wanna put it up on the board for me? Six, one, two, eight. There you go. Anytime you see therefore, 
It is there for something. Anytime you see therefore, it's there for a reason. So when it starts out, therefore, I got to say, what's it there for? Which means I got to back up and find out why it's there. And if I back up, I'm going to find out it says, when for the time you ought to be teachers. You want to back up? Go back to 511 or something like that. No, back on up. On back. Okay. 12. 12. That's the NIV. What? What? Listen, if the King James is good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. I don't, you don't need to be changing the Bible for me now. I knew when I read the first word it wasn't right. Oh, there's, when for the time. (laughs) You ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Roll on. Next verse. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Next verse. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore. Woo! Now we found out what it's there for. The next thing that is there for something and the reason it's there for is because speaking to these Hebrews, we're finding out that they are comfortable simply sipping milk. They don't want strong meat. And he says, milk belongs to babies. I worry about congregations that are constantly being fed a diet of preaching that simply stirs the emotion of the people that continually confirms what they already believe i worry about folks who read the bible and their glasses are so focused on what they already have been taught that they can't find revelation in it because they only pick out the verses that will confirm what they already know. For example, Psalm, let me just quote a little to you here. Psalm 50. Anybody? 
Psalm 50. Anybody got that? Oh, we got it. The mighty God, even though earth spoken from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. I've heard preachers preach the second coming of Jesus from this passage over and over again. Our God shall come. He's coming, saints. He's coming. Our God is going to come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He may not be here in the morning and he may not come at night, but he's going to be here right on time. My God. And they take that deep, struggling breath. No. That verse has nothing to do with the coming of Jesus. That verse has to do with coming judgment on people who have hardened their hearts against hearing the word of the Lord. If you go on down, let's keep going here. Our God shall come, shall not keep silence. The fire shall devour for him, shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens above to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my people together. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Look at the next line. And the heavens shall declare in righteousness, for God is judge himself. Go ahead. Hear, O my people, I will speak, O Israel, and I'll testify against thee. Now we're going to find out why God's coming. He's come to testify against them. And then he goes on to say, I will not take. Well, go ahead. I will not reprove you for thy sacrifice and thy burnt offerings to have been continually for me. I can't come and contend with you about the fact that you don't attend church or you don't pay your tithe or you're not faithful or you're not regular because you've done all the sacrifice and all the stuff. You've got that all done. You keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. But it's not just in the doing of something. It is in the purpose of its doing. And when the purpose gets lost in the doing of a thing, then it becomes a routine and a religious tradition to do things, even though they are good things. I go to church every Sunday. I always support the ministry. I pay my tithe. I'm faithful to do the things I'm asked to do. So I am a good Christian. No, you're not. You are a, a routine robot. You're doing right things and have no understanding of why. That's why Isaiah said in his very first passage, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination. Your new moons and your feast days and your Sabbath days, I cannot away with. I can't swallow it anymore. Whoa. When you come before me to tread my courts, who hath required this of thee? Who told you to do this? Well, you look around and say, you did. You told us to keep the Sabbath day. You told us to keep the feast days. You told us about the new moons. You told us all the commandments we're supposed to do. What do you mean, who told you to do this? You told us to do this. We're doing what you told us to do. Why? I don't know. Because it's Sunday. And we always go to church on Sunday. Anybody still here with me? Is it good to go? Yeah. Is it good to give? Yeah. Is it right to be faithful? Yeah. But the doing of a thing is not the reason for it. The doing is the manifestation of a purpose. And when the doing ceases to be the manifestation of your purpose, when purpose, to what purpose 
is the multitude of your sacrifice. What are you doing here? Now, let's just talk about the worship. Is this okay if I talk about this? Well, if it isn't, I'm going to do this anyhow. This is, listen, this is important to us. And we got to seal these things in our spirits before we leave. Because there's no, there is no prescription for your alteration. I'm going to say that again. There is really no prescription for your alteration. The Holy Ghost has got to talk to every pastor, every leader, every ministry son and daughter. The good, sweet Holy Ghost. And if you don't get off somewhere and get quiet and get still and listen to God, if you just go start trying to change things just because you feel, oh, we've been to a meeting, we're going to change everything up. You change things for change's sake, you create havoc. You'll destroy yourself and the people. No. Wise leadership lays before the Lord and asks the questions that need to be asked. What am I to do? How should I lead? I don't know how to go in and I don't know how to go out. I do not know how to break the chains of all of the years and actually the decades of religious activity that have formed boxes in which we live, little pigeonholes that we've been shoved into, and we just dance outside for a few minutes and dive right back into those same little places. And we go on and on and on. How am I to lead? How am I to change. There is no particular prescription for my alteration outside of a word from God. I need a word from God. You with me here? I need a word from God. I will tell you that old religious activity and church activity, as we've noted in the past, will be the great enemy of kingdom progress. I'm sorry. This is really important. Our old routines, doing the same things, Phil, we know. We've been in this a long, long time doing the same things. I walk into churches, I know exactly what I'm going to hear when I walk in the door. I know what exactly is going to happen. I can tell you almost down to the minute when they're going to turn the floor over to me and expect me to change their world. And I can't change their world. They've already boxed it out and fixed it before I ever got the microphone. And I am in a space about this big trying to fix things that years have corroded and rusted into place. It's like trying to twist a nut off a bolt on an underwater vessel that has been sunken. You can't, you got to get a torch. You got to get a torch. You got, you can't go down there with a monkey wrench because the bolt has become one with the ship. Time will literally corrupt the things that should move and make them immovable. 
That's why Paul said, I fear. Lest as the serpent through subtlety corrupted Eve. That you might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Being able to move. Being able to flex. Being able to hear. Not finding, you know, sitting two hours looking at the back of somebody else's head and then grabbing your person head for McDonald's. That's really not what our gathering together was supposed to be. I'm not going to reprove you for your burnt offering sacrifices. Okay, go ahead. I'm not going to take any bullock, any bull out of your house. I'm not going to take any she-goat out of your fold. You know why? Because every beast of the forest belongs to me. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the fowl of the mountain, the wild beasts of the field are mine. One of my favorite texts that I've preached all over the world comes up next. And if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. You're the last people, God says, I would inform if I needed anything done in my world. That indictment, to go and start, our God shall come and shall not keep silence and try to preach a message on the second coming of Jesus in a text that means nothing about that. You didn't read far enough or even get the evidence of what the scripture was trying to say. Here he's talking to his own people. He's not talking to heathen. He's not talking to people who don't know anything about him. He's talking to his own people and saying, look, if I wanted something, I would never knock on your door. You would, I would not come by your house because I know you're immovable. You couldn't offer it. And I'm not going to take anything from you. I don't want any bulls out of your foot. I don't want any she-goats out of your house. No, 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 no. If I want to sacrifice, I'm not an ogre. I'm not hungry for blood. I don't have to have it that badly. If you don't know what the sacrifice is for, and if you don't understand why you should give it, I'm not going to come and take it. And I'm just standing here wondering, how come you do all of this stuff? Because you've lost the purpose for it. Why do you worship? Why do you crank up your music and have worship? Because you're trying to make God happy, trying to please him. What you have witnessed here is a completely different atmosphere. There's something being created here. As crazy as you think it might be or as wild as it may seem to you, there's something being created here that is not just trying to make God feel good. He felt good before you started. Said so we're trying to make God happy. He's happy. Can't get any happier. Well, we want, we want to do the will of God. Well, you need to do the will of God, but God's will is going to get done, whether you do it or not. And so the flow of the Spirit. Come on, let's say the flow of the Spirit. I want to just see whether or not we've got good acceleration and good brakes right here. You ready? I put the brakes on a while ago. I want to see if we've got an acceleration. You ready? Shout right now to the Lord. Okay, 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 yeah. All right, everything's working. Everything's working. See, we should be able at a moment's note. That's why they put the gas pedal and the brake real close together. Because in worship, in praise, in ministry, in things, you should be able to accelerate, you should be able to stop. You should be able to go, you should be able to back up. You should be able to move. 
you need to be flexible. They're just not going to put you on the team if you, all you can do is run in a straight line. You've got to be able to dodge, to duck, to back up, to move around. You've got to be, you've got to be able to flex. You can't just be... God's not looking for robots. God doesn't use robots. We doing okay? Okay. I, 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 I haven't come here to try just to... I'm not going to try to preach stuff you already know. I'm trying to wake up your mind to understand. There is an absolute necessity for all of us to start seeking God about how we adjust what we do in church activity. Because if the church activity does not feed the purpose of the kingdom, you're wasting your time. I'm worrying about ministries that tell the stories about Jesus, but never tell you that you are Christ in the earth. I'm worried about preachers who can preach about the blind man at the gate. And Peter and John come by, my God. And they look at him and he begs for alms. And they say, silver and gold have I none. Glory to God, you know what's coming next. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up. And then everybody's cheering, cheering, cheering. So we cheered about the story that was supposed to be some sense a blueprint for my personal activity. To tell the stories and not tell how they relate and who you are. Because he said, as I am in this world, so shall ye be. Maybe we ought to send them down to the temple steps and look for a lame man. Say, oh no, no, that was Jesus. He, he does it. He can do anything. Well, I thought he was in us. See that? That see how that disconnects? I want to ask you: Do you see the disconnect? We tell. We have to tell the stories about him to get excited, rather than seeing what he is doing now to be excited. Okay. Uh, you can go back now to uh, 6, Hebrews 6, 1. Hebrews 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Let's say go on unto perfection. What is perfection? Does that mean that you're going to be perfect in your flesh? That means you're never going to make a mistake. Never going to say a bad word. Not going to go someplace you shouldn't go. Not going to act somewhere you shouldn't. Is that what that means? No, no. What does it mean? What's perfection? It means complete completion or maturity. Let's let's say let's grow up. Because the therefore was saying we're a bunch of babies drinking milk, and we really ought to be meat eating strong men. Strong meat belong to them that are full age, even those who by reason of Use. If you, want your, if you want your arms and your biceps to get big, you exercise that part of your body. That's why somebody take a barbell and they're... Because they're working on their lats. Why are they doing curls? 
Yeah, Bill Nippert. I used to have. I don't know what happened to Bishop. It went away. It's all right here. Everything that used to be here and here is right here. God moved. <laughs> so, apostle of God, since we've been drinking milk and not eating meat, he says, I'm going to come by and show you what you should already have under your belt. Okay? Okay. Let's go on to completion or maturity, or let's stop supping milk and let's get some meat, all right? Don't lay again. Say, lay again. Amen. Quit preaching over and over and over and over. You say, well, we just preach salvation. Well, the truth is that you need to quit doing that in your church. Now, see, that'll shock 90% of the people in this room. That should be being done in the streets. That should be done in the backyard. You say, well, I preach the plan of salvation. Well, the plan of salvation is such a wonderful, simple thing. I'm not saying you can't preach about it. I'm simply saying for you to get up every Sunday and preach water baptism, preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and preach people need to get saved. That's not, the church was there to be matured. These people are gathered up here for you to tell them who they are. You're supposed to be training them to understand what they are in Christ. You should be maturing them. Number two, you should be identifying their ministry. You should be telling them, this is who you are. We should be, and then we should be equipping them so they can go and do it. Their work for the kingdom is not coming to church. Their work for the kingdom starts when they walk out the door. One of the things that I'll never forget the first time I was in your house, Phil, is when you said, when you were dismissing, you said, God bless you, go and be the church. I went, wow, go and be the church. Now, that really, that really did something in my mind. I said, that's pretty cool. I never heard that before. I'm going to borrow that. Matter of fact, almost everything I got's borrowed from somewhere. Well, a lot of stuff. I hate to tell you, but a lot of stuff borrowed my stuff, too. A lot of people got my stuff. So I count it even. You steal from me, I steal from you. You take my stuff, I take your stuff. <laughs> so we're not going to lay the foundation of repentance. Let's all say repentance. But it's not repentance from sin. No. It's, re Bishop, it's repentance from dead works. Doing things that really have no life in them. They are dead. And of course, when you're talking here to the Hebrews, you're talking to the Romans, you're talking to Jews at Rome as well. And a lot of them were contending about the works of the law. So a lot of the writing of Paul is contending over the old law of Moses versus grace. We understand that. But it's really very applicable to us. 
It's applicable because we have so many things we do that we have borrowed and gathered traditionally. I don't, maybe I don't even need to talk about this. Everybody's agreeing with what I'm saying. Maybe You understand what I'm saying? Well, then we need to quit it. Don't agree with me and then keep doing the same thing. Because last time I was at your house, we did the same thing. So quit it. Do something else. So repentance from dead works. What, well, there, is there anything wrong with faith toward God? No. Go on. Doctrine of baptisms. There's water baptism, spirit baptism, fire baptism. Some of our churches need to teach the baptism of fire. Our God is a consuming fire. If you teach water baptism, spirit baptism, and do not teach the baptism of fire, your people will always struggle with habitual things, circumstances, and situations because you haven't taught that there is a fire that burns up the chaff and saves the wheat. The chaff are not the lost and the wheat the saved. No, no, no. The chaff and the wheat are the same stock. God is trying to separate the grain, the seed, and get rid of all the stuff that surrounds it. And so he burns the chaff with unquenchable fire. He saves the seed. That means they're going to go through hell for the next few months after they get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You should have told them that. You should not tell them that their life has changed and it's rosy and it's wonderful and the best thing ever happened to them just happened. They're never going to have a struggle. All their bills are going to be paid. Their kids are all going to talk in tongues. Their wife is going to love them like she never has before and the husband's going to be the kindest thing. He's going to quit kicking the cat and cussing the dog and everything's going to be lovely. It's going to be wonderful. Hallelujah. And the next thing you know, about three days later, they're in a big storm in their house because you did not tell them because one of the foundational principles, the doctrine of baptism, is not just getting the baptistry. It's not just getting the name. It's not just getting the Holy Ghost and talking in other tongues. You've got to let the fire burn. Burn, burn, burn. I'm not talking about Bernie. You didn't get that, did you? You got to feel the burn. You've got to let the fire burn the chaff so that God gets a, I'm coming along here, Phil, I'm getting there, gets a pure, come on, say pure, a pure seat. Okay. Laying on of hands. We need to teach the people about what it means. You don't lay hands suddenly on any man. You do not just go put your hands on anybody. That's the reason people do that is because they've never been taught kingship and priesthood. If you've been taught kingship, then you will understand your position with Christ. You have authority, but you only have authority in your priesthood as you hear. What you hear vertically operates horizontally. I do not put my hands on people who are not my people. No, 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 because God will tell me, I do not pray for the world. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept them. Those out of the world, they are mine. God will show me who are mine. I put my hands on those who are mine. I make a spiritual transfer only to those that God anoints me to be priesthood over. They can't even come in without priesthood. They can't even come into the holy place without priesthood. That's why I become their intercessor. That's really what the ministry of reconciliation is all about. 
I have the authority, and the, but not for the whole world. I have it only for the people in my world. And in my world, God leads me to certain people that no one else will ever go to. And there, I put my hands on, and instantly, there is a transfer. They cannot say no. There's no way they can object because God, before the foundation of the world, chose that I would be a priest for them and put me into my job, into my world, into my search situation, into my circumstance at that time, in that place where I would meet them. And when I touch them, there is a transfer. There is a holy transfer that takes place. There's a connection there that I need to teach my people that because if I don't, they go pass out tracks and knock on every door and it's a foolish, I'm sorry. It's an act in futility. It's pseudo-evangelism. It does not work. They've never, the reason why you go pass out tracks, knock on every door, tell, you say, well, sow beside all water. Yeah, well, you need to sow where God has given you a field. So you learn about the laying on of hands. That's very important. And also for healing and for deliverance. And don't put your hands on people just because you I'm going to pray for you. Be careful who you touch. Because there also is a backwash. I hate to tell you about that. Because you become partaker of other men's sins. You start putting your hands on people God didn't give to you. And the stuff they got, you're going to get. You want to be careful. They got lice, you're going to be scratching after a while. <clears throat> You say, I got the gift of deliverance. You do? Well, you be, be careful. The devil jump on you and break you in two here one of these days. You don't just go try to deliver just anybody and everybody. God didn't give you a gift to go out and just win the whole wide world. And quit laying hands on all the saints. This whole idea about I've got a gift, I've got the gift of prophecy, and you run the course through the church trying to find some other sister, some other brother. Yay, the Lord said, Brother, I got a word. Ooh, ta, yeah, I got a word for you, brother. God just spoke to me that you ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quit that stuff. If they're a brother and sister, they got the same God talking to them, been talking to you. How come you're trying to cast the devil out of your brother? You say, Well, because he's full of the devil. You better leave the you better leave that for your set ministry to determine. The problem is you do that because you feel safe in doing that because you ain't got the courage to do it on a street corner. Now you go out somewhere in the mall. Now you start casting out that devil. Now we're going to talk. Oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. <laughs> At the last trump, the dead in Christ are going to rise. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Everything that is dead and in the grave, every physical body that's in the grave. I hate to tell you, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I already believe that the spirits are already gone to God who gave it. We will come back in an incorruptible body, but we are already with him. I'm not going to fuss with you about the rapture of the church. I'm not going to fight with you. And the reason I don't talk about it is because the escapism mentality that has been spawned in our churches has been the destruction of the kingdom possibility. If you think you're getting out of here in the morning, then you're not going to do anything but just see if you can stay clean tonight. And so all the church has done is pull its robes around it and try to stay safe so they can get out of here because they consider the world to be a damnable place 
a horror situation that they got to get delivered from and they have not been taught properly in the church. They have not been taught properly that the reason God called them and saved them was so they would be in the world. He saved you to be in this world. And we're trying to get out of what he saved us for. I'm sorry. You say, oh, I'm looking for that blessed hope. You could have found it right here 15 minutes ago. Say, I want Jesus to come. He came all over the place up here a while ago. You're sitting back waiting for a physical appearance and he is wanting to show up in your life. And eternal judgment. Let's all say eternal judgment. This one, I'm going to go very far on this one. But I'm going to tell you that we have mistaught that. Because 90% of the people sitting in this building right now believe that eternal judgment is hellfire. Number one, the word eternal is mistranslated in the King James Version. It's mistranslated in the NIV. It's mistranslated. It is not Eternal, it's age abiding. It is not forever and ever. That word is not eternal. It is eon, eonios, within the age. Next of all, boy, look at everybody looking at me. No, because the church wants people to go to hell. Because your doctrine doesn't work. If you don't have a fear factor. No, that's the truth. I can't win people if I can't believe in a hell where people are going to boil like a piece of bacon forever and ever and ever. Just the juice dripping out of them forever. Never any hope. Never. Any. I've got to believe in a hell where people just cook and boil and fry and scream and torment. I've got to believe that. If I don't believe that, I can't win the loss. Because the whole premise of the present day traditional church is based on fear. We got it from Catholicism. And the translations of our present Bibles were translated by monks who were the couriers of King James. Who was the greatest persecutor of Christians. That's why people came to America. To get away from the persecution of the Church of England and the Anglican Church. And they started marrying the pagan underworld to their religious ideas. And he refused to allow them to take out of their Bibles a proper translation. That's why if you say hell, everybody in the world thinks that Hades, Tartarus, Sheol, that's all fire. No, it's not. There's only one place in the Bible that hell and fire go together. It's one place, Gehenna. Used one time by Jesus. He was talking about the dump outside of Jerusalem. He didn't say the people burn forever. He said the fire never goes out. That's because they keep throwing trash on it. Didn't say the trash burns forever. He said the fire burns forever. This is ridiculous. You say, oh, you don't believe in hell. I don't care what you think I believe. Very frankly, I'm going to tell you the church is in big trouble because the only way we know how to win people to God is to scare the daylights out of them. 
That's not the government of grace. Hey, Pam, how you doing? Hang in there, folks. Hey, look, I don't care if you send your tithe to me anymore or not. God's going to take care of me. I thank God. I thank God. There are people, all of, all of you in here, those who are my true sons and daughters, tithe to me as a father. I thank you. That's better than sending it to an organization. I use it for the glory of God. Thank you. I receive it, and you should, because that's God's plan. The high priest should receive a tithe of, that's right, of the people. Everybody believes that? Say amen. No, that, are y'all? I can see a bunch of you. Not, well, I may about need to preach on that a while. If you believe that, shout amen. amen. Right, and I thank you from my heart. But I really, if you don't like what I'm saying, it's fine with me. Because somewhere, someday, the time has come, Phil. I got to say some things. I'm not going to live forever. And I'm not going to play your game anymore. If I'm your daddy, listen to me. The kingdom of God operates by love. There's no force in the world as powerful as love. It didn't say God so hated the world that he was trying to sort him out and see which ones to kill. I hate it when I see in the church the attitude of, well, I'll tell you what, I'm so glad I'm saved. And I tell you what, I don't want to be lost in this old world when the world is on fire. I get so sick of that. It sounds like you are enormously pleased that 90% of the world's past, present, and future population is going to forever burn. The Bible said in the presence of the Lamb. And that God is going to laugh at their destruction. Did you really think that the God who was not willing that any should perish is going to sit and smile while the greater part of his creation? I'm sorry, but that offends me and it offends the character of God. I don't believe it. Oh, I believe there's punishment. <laughs> I believe there's fire. But I believe it's age abiding. That's why you can turn somebody over to the devil, to Satan. Before, for the destruction of their body? What for? So their soul will be saved in the day of the Lord? Oh, I believe that in your age, there is fire that burns. I believe that, I believe that there is terrible, terrible punishment for things that people do. But for me to believe that I'm supposed to preach a gospel that causes people to be so scared that they'll come jump in the baptistry and that they'll do anything they can and eventually they get saved. If you win them by fear, you've got to keep them by fear. You've got to keep preaching hell. You've got to, that's why the hellfire brimstone preachers have got to keep spitting and sputtering and saying, and the saints say, oh, Jesus, save. and you watch all those Pentecostals. You watch them, they're all, watch them when they pray. It's never, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Pammy, Gary, remember when you talked about that? It's always, oh, Jesus, oh, God. Oh, we praise you today, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Look at their faces. You know why it's that way? Because they have been won by fear. But this, <laughs> this, 
These are the folks that ain't scared they're going to hell. That's right. Come on, let's give God a great shout in here. Come on, let's give God some more praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Said, for God so. <laughs> wow. He loved his world. He loves me. And even if I do something bad, he doesn't even write it down. Oh, I'm so blessed because since he paid it all, he doesn't even write down, even if it's iniquity. He doesn't impute it. He makes no accounting of it. You say, oh, then I can do anything. No, not if you love him. Because the law of love is greater than the law of sin and death. If I love him, I don't want to do bad. If I love him, I don't want to do those things. If I love him, I don't want to act that way. If I love him, if I love my brother, I don't want to, I don't want to covet somebody's wife because I love my brother. I don't do that if I am scared he's going to catch me. I'll keep looking for an opportunity. But if I work by love, I don't need an opportunity. I just can't do it because my love So I need to teach my new believers. Quit teaching them Romans something that they don't understand. If you're going to teach them anything in Romans, go to 9, 10, and 11. Those three chapters that you don't understand. That tells you that it's God's choice and not yours. That tells you God hardens who he wants to harden and has mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy. Go find out that God is the one who chose before the foundation of the world and it's a mystery and nobody understands it. Go read all that. Teach them all of that because that would be good for them. But if I don't want to be separated from God, then I've got to, here's, here's what I need to teach them. I say, hey, nothing can separate me from the, oh, there you go again. See there? Because love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than death. And if I preach God, you say, oh, he just preaches the love. I, I See, I, this is the argument of the old tradition. He just preaches the love of God. He's a big compromise. He don't even believe in hell. I didn't say I didn't believe in hell. I believe it's the place of the dead. I believe that hell is a terrible thing, horrible thing to be separated from God. I believe in fire, but I don't think that somebody just burns forever and ever and ever and ever without cause. I truly believe that in the age God punishes men. Men suffer consequences. We go through serious consequences for our misconduct. I truly believe that. I'm sorry. I'm just going to be bold with you. I'm sorry. But I am going to be bold with you and tell you that if you're going to preach the kingdom of God, quit telling people they're going to hell. Tell them Jesus loves you so much. He died. He loved you so much. He paid the penalty. And what really upsets me and I didn't really realize this until I made a couple of statements here a few months ago. I boldly made a couple of statements in one church, and I watched people freeze up 
just like they were glowering at me. Like, how dare you? And I thought, what is the spirit that has come against me here? And I suddenly realized that they were upset that people were not going. The idea that people might not go to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. Boy, it's quiet in here now. Ain't nobody got to moderate this. See, and if you walk away from this meeting saying, oh, you know what Pop did? He got him said he don't believe in hell. If that's all you get out of this, I really feel badly for you. I'm not saying that. I believe that there's severe punishment and terrible anxiety and separation for things we do. But I really believe that God is anxious for his whole creation to be redeemed. When it says he is not willing, it is Thelema and Bolema. It means he did not predetermine. See, what comes into play here? Are y'all listening to me? What comes into play here, and I've had to deal with, Ballard, I've had to deal with this, is do I truly believe in the sovereignty of God? Do I believe that he truly does know the end from the beginning? If I ask anybody here, do you believe that he knows the end from the beginning? Do you believe that he's sovereign? Do you believe that every word that he speaks and commands will be come to pass? You really do. You really believe that the word of God is stronger than the will of man? No, you don't. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we have made the will of man and the wiles of Satan more powerful than the purpose of God in the earth. We are convinced that man can alter the plan of God. That's why you preach stuff like this. You ready? And God made a perfect man and put him in a garden. It was a glorious place full of trees, fruit, nuts, vines, beautiful. He put him there. Man was lonely. God made a woman to be an helpmeet to the man. And they too walked in this glorious garden. And in the cool of the day, God's voice came walking and talking to them in this garden. What a marvelous companionship. What a glorious union. What a wonderful relationship. Oh, don't you wish you could have been there? <laughs> Watch the preacher go. Oh, my God. God, just walking among the lilies and the roses and the fragrance and the songbirds singing, everything giving glory to God. Not a problem, not a mistake. Only one small thing God had required of them and that was in the midst of the garden somewhere. He had planted a tree and he said, you can eat everything in the garden. It's all yours. Enjoy, my family. Enjoy, my children. But there's one tree you cannot touch, the tree of the knowledge of the good and of evil. And you know you would think that with all the blessing of God and everything he had created, everything he had promised and all he had provided, you would think they wouldn't need to go there. But they went straight like a marten to her gourd. Straight to that tree. The next thing you know, Eve 
pulled off an apple. I don't know where we got the apple thing. That's why God's got it in for women. What a ridiculous thing, you know. Just stop and think about it. And they ate that fruit. And when they did, in the day they ate of that fruit, God cast them out of the garden. <sighs> and so God, now here, here we go, you ready? The sovereign God of ours. And so God, looking at the condition that they had created by their sin, had to send his own son. That's so much hogwash. Well, this is how quiet it is. I said it's hogwash. God didn't have to do nothing. He put the tree there. If he didn't think they're going to eat of it and he didn't want them to, how come he planted the dumb thing right in the middle of the garden? They can't even go to the walnut tree without passing it. For God's sake, it's right over by the cherry tree and it's over by the raspberry bushes. I mean, you would expect he could have either put it in a corner or why didn't he plant it outside the gate? How come you put it in the middle of the garden? Well, of course they're going to have to pass. They haven't. Got, they've got, there it is, Eve. Careful. Honey, don't get too good. Now they come back and Eve. Oh, watch out, honey. That's, that's that bad tree. She goes, oh, it looks pretty. I love it. And we preach that Calvary was plan B. Come on. That a sovereign God could be thwarted by the will of a man that he had created and could absolutely be at war forever with a demon that he threw out of heaven. What a ridiculous idea. Did you hear what I said? It's hogwash. Calvary was plan A. He knew they would eat it. He intended for them to eat it. That's why he put it there. Why? Because he has held all under unrighteousness. Why? So that he might show mercy to all. He couldn't show his love if they hadn't failed. He had to let them fail. Okay, I'm sorry. I am weary with religion. I am sick of the old traditional stuff. If we don't start teaching our new believers, if we, okay, when it says, therefore leaving the foundation of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Okay, let's all say, let us go on to perfection. We've agreed that perfection is maturity, right? We've agreed that perfection is not human perfection, but it's maturity, full growth. You agree with that? which is what the Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, Teacher was supposed to do, perfect the saints. Am I right about that? So church really should be for the perfecting of saints, putting these people into their ministry, helping them understand who they are, and number three, edifying them, encouraging them so they can go do it. It's not to go and tell Bible stories for the next 30 years. It's not to go through a routine. Uh, we have worship at the beginning of the service, and then we do this, and we do this. Well, why don't you change it up a little bit? Why don't you worship at the end of the service? I mean, I mean, just... 
Why the routine? Why doing the same thing? And the people are ever learning. Say, ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You say, oh, I know the truth. I know repentance. What about, whoa, 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 whoa. Not doctrinal truth. The truth of who they are and the purpose for which they were saved. That's the knowledge they never get. They never know why they are there. says, don't lay it again. Don't keep doing it. Let us go on. Let's all say, let us go on. It doesn't mean you forget about it. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's just like two plus two is four. You learn in the second grade. You go to the third grade. You don't have to forget that. You take it with you. So they take all this with them. So really, the only reason why it takes three or four days for new believers in Mexico is because you can get this taught in three or four days. Not 30 or 40 years. Huh? Oh, it's the five-hour teaching, but practice takes longer because they practice casting out the devil. They practice laying hands on the sick. They show you how. <laughs> you don't even want to know that. You don't want to know that. And they bump into each other when they worship. So that would annoy, that would annoy all of your spiritual righteous thinking anyway. So... There's no need to go there, okay? All I'm trying to tell <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. Oh, God. Bishop Thomas, I know you asked me to come to Jamaica, but I understand after this evening why that invitation is not further extended. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. You don't, have to, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to say a word. I got it. 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 Okay? <clears throat> now, there's another word. There's another line. Next verse. Next verse. No. And this we will do if God permit. Now everybody, I know I've taken a long time. I'm sorry, but I just, God has got this on me. Okay? Some things have got to change. We can't change the world, but I can change my mind. And the only way I'm going to be renewed is by the renewing of, not your mind, my mind. That's where the gates of hell are. And I'll never get to the kingdom if I don't get keys to get through this thing right here. And so you know what I'm doing right now? I'm giving you keys. One of those keys is quit preaching fear and start preaching love. That is a kingdom key. Quit preaching heaven as a destination and start preaching heaven as a dimension of the spirit that they can step into right now. And, oh no, no, back, back up, back up, back up. I got, last one. And this we will do, say it for me, if... Can somebody please tell me, Moats, tell me, why wouldn't God permit any of his children, or all of his children, to go on to maturity and perfection? Can somebody please aid me here in my small thinking? 
He's already told me all this and then said, we'll do this if God will give us permission. I mean, why would you write all that stuff, Greg? Why would you write it all and say, you got to move past this, you got to quit doing all that, and you got to quit thinking that, and you got to quit eternal judgment. He eternally judged our sins in his own body on the tree. The greatest teaching on eternal judgment. He eternally judged our sins in his own body on the tree. The best thing you can ever teach about eternal judgment is he already paid for it. Thank you very much. Tell your new believers that. Teach them that. Teach them that. Teach them to love. And then, who would then help me? Anybody help me? And this we will do if God gives me permission? Why? Why would God not permit anybody to go on to perfection? He's already said, let's do it. And then turns around and says, well, we will. If God let us. Bishop, you got any answer for me? You can help me out here a little bit? Hmm? It's a toughie, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. You ready? Because the kingdom cannot abide a defiled seed. The kingdom can never be built on the trash the traditional church has taught. And God ain't going to let you take that seed through the veil if you don't get all of this other right first. You're going to keep all your dead works? God does not give you permission. You will stay in church the rest of your life and go round and round the mountain. And that's why 90% of them do. He is not going to give you permission if all you do is preach as a doctrine baptism, water, spirit, fire. It's not a doctrine. It's a spiritual activity that has meaning. It's a foundational truth that I can teach to a new believer in 15 minutes. In Adam, everybody is dead. In Christ, everybody's alive. The only two men who've ever lived, Adam and Jesus. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. If you're in Adam, you have his genetic system, and it's all about death. If you want to keep that, then you're fine. But if you want to get rid of that, we're going to water baptize you because it is an act of faith that is a manifestation of burying an old man. And when you do, you don't just bury the old man, you bury his genetic system. And so when you rise, you rise to walk in a new life. God gives you a new identity. And now I'm alive in Jesus. Wow. I've got new, because that's why it's called regeneration. It's regeneration. I get new genetics. Now I've got his genetics. His seed remaineth in me, and I cannot sin. Doesn't mean I don't make a mistake. God doesn't record it. Doesn't even look at sin as sin because now that I'm his child, I'm in him. I'm perfect. Satan can't judge me because before the bar of God, I don't even appear. My attorney goes for me every time. Jesus walks up and said, What did you say about what did you say about Edward? You dirty liar. He has never sinned, never did sin. Anything he ever did. Show me, show me. Oh, you're talking about a dead man. That man's dead. He's dead. 
No, no, no. No, he's dead. What are you doing? Trying to you trying to get blood out of a turnip? You trying to get a dead man condemned? No, no, he's dead and buried. I can show you the marker over him. He does not exist. What are you talking about? Well, he did that last week. Oh, really? He did? Well, let's check the record here. I don't see any record here. It's not written down anyplace. I'm sorry. You got the wrong man. Get out of here. My attorney shows up. I don't even have to go. He's my counselor. Woo! The mighty God. Who? The everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. Jesus. How do I love him? <laughs> so much. God will not allow a defiled seed to be sown for kingdom purpose. So he will never give permission to you or our people or any of us to go and build the kingdom if we carry out ideas and things that are contrary to those foundational truths. The simplicity of the gospel is what we should have been preaching all of these years. But when you take that seed that is so simple and mix it with tradition, Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you know what? You teach for doctrine the commandments of men. They're not God's command. They're men's command. And you're teaching that it's doctrine. You've mingled the seed, Phil. I think everybody's tired, huh? You know, when we were in our uh, council meeting, he, uh, something came up and he was speaking to us about this whole concept and I don't know how it works with you but um, sometimes I read the word of God and I have no clue what I'm reading or why I'm reading it. Is anybody else here like that? Maybe three or four of us? And so just before I came down here I, re I read a scripture out of the exciting book of Ezra. And I, I read Ezra and I'm like, okay, this is good stuff, right? I went right by and left it. I'm sitting in the meeting on Tuesday. And he starts talking about this stuff. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, now you know why I had you read Ezra. You see, if you look, one thing Mark taught me almost 20 years ago. My life turned upside down. I pastored for 24 years. And I said, isn't there more than this? And God said, you're messed up and dumped my whole life out on the table to the point my wife would come home after church and say, what do we believe? Because I went through this process. And one of the things he taught me was the three dimensions. He said, Phil, you, when you read a scripture, you need to read it on three levels. That radically changed my life. I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Ask God to show you. Three levels. There's, a, there's the, the, the obvious level that you teach in Sunday school. And when you read the book of Ezra, it's the story about Ezra coming back to rebuild the temple. That's historical. We can all read that and tell that as a Sunday school and probably write a chorus for the kids about it. But if you take it up to the level that Mark's been talking to you in tonight, you read that story, 
And it says that when Darius got a vision from the Lord, it was the fathers of the house of Benjamin and Judah that rose up to go back with Ezra. The fathers. Not everybody went. In fact, hardly anybody went. They were comfortable where they were, just like the church. We're comfortable where we are. But they rose up, and it says, on the second year, on the second day, they began to build it, rebuild the temple. And then I love it. You get a little further down, it says, and on the third day, it was finished. Now, all that in the book of Ezra, when you're reading it. But it says, in order for that to happen, something occurred. And Ezra taught them, and they came back and they said, uh, you, you need to realize we got a problem here. And uh, this is what it is. You know, we, we see the new temple here, and we, and we really want to get into this. The problem is, is we, ha we have disobeyed God in a terrible way. Can you say that? I had to say that in my life at a point. I have disobeyed God. I have misunderstood. I, I, I didn't get it. And because I didn't get it, I screwed up big time. In fact, I married a woman who I wasn't supposed to. Now, this is here, right? Not, not the one sitting here. This, this, this is a good one. Okay. But it was like they said, we have wives that you told us not to marry because they're from this land. What do we do? We have a covenant with this old stuff. And you're trying to lead us into this new worship, this, this new temple. And do we bring these wives with us and, and, and the children we made from that old covenant? Can we take them with us? You can't bring it with you. That's mixed seed. That's what he's been talking to you about. You see, way back in the book of Ezra, when that story was told, it wasn't just a history lesson on what the Jews did in the old days. It was revelation for us today that we need to understand if we're going to make this transition into a new generation of power. We can't take the old junk with us. Even if we married to it. Even if we have children from it. You can't take it with you. That's heart-wrenching. And we're thinking, well, well, how are those women going to feel? You and I got to get over the thing. It's not about how other people feel. It's what God wants from us. We're so concerned about hurting people's feelings that we leave God sitting in the back someplace and we can't get into the new dimension. We can't get into the kingdom. We can't get into the new temple. Because we care more about what people will feel instead of what God is revealing to us. And I just want to encourage you, as you leave these meetings, you have homework to do. you got to go back and take your notes that you heard. I mean, I, I got all kinds of stuff written to study. This guy over here gave me at least a week worth of work this morning here, too. I go find out what this means. You know, I want you to know we don't all sit here because we're on the council and we know it all. I, I got to learn every day. 
something new. God's got new things for us. But if we see it the old way and our heart is still back there, you know the old story, you know, it didn't take him long to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And when God wants to bring you into this new thing he's doing in the earth, maybe you need to make a resolution. It is not going to take another generation. It's not going to take another 40 years. We're going in now. Like he said, I'm, I'm not letting this happen without me. And if I got to get rid of this stuff in the past, no matter how much I love it and how good I feel about it, it's got to go because I'm stepping in to this new thing that God is doing. Hallelujah. Let's all stand up. Give a great shout. Now, now we just, we just, just stay right here with me. We just heard the word of the Lord. See, I'm up here raving and going on and on. Here comes the man of God. He gives you a scriptural, foundational, shadow type. And says, okay, here's the deal. Here, here's how it is. See, could I just tell you something? Every daddy needs sons like this. Sons like you. You know. I get, I get ideas. God gives revelation. Let me explain something to you. Any father who seeks to control his sons, who are mature sons, and make them slaves, you do not circumcise them spiritually. You castrated them and took away their seed. Anything I say here, there are men of God all over here. Sims, I know who you all are. Porter, I know who you guys are. I know who you are. I know who you are. Who have great, Ron, revelation and understanding, often beyond anything I have. There's nothing greater in my life than to hear the voice of men who claim that I'm their papa. And I look at them and watch them and say, I don't even know where they're coming from. I'm learning from you. We just heard such a thing, Ed. We just heard it right here. Phil, you just, we cannot come out of bondage and have a new temple and bring things that are of old covenant. It is a mingled seed. God will not permit it. That's why he said, if God permit. Which leaves me one more thing to say, and then I want the host of this house, the man of God, the apostle to the nations. Oh my God, Akinmola, who you are in God is astonishing. Astonishing. I just saw you again. Oh my God. Whoa. I'm sorry, excuse me just a minute. Excuse me. Okay, before he comes, I just want you to know 
that we have passed into another age. It doesn't mean that the church does not exist, but it cannot be what it has been. And if it doesn't measure up to the instruction of producing keys that are applicable to gates that must open into the kingdom, if it does not do that, it is not his church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. And we've got a jealous Jesus on our hands because we are building our church with false covenants and ideas. And he said he wanted to do it and we won't let him. So whatever we are, go back home, homework, thank you. So my homework, not just yours, mine, my homework, all of us, all of council, everybody, all of our homework. Our homework is going to be that I've got to go and find out is what I'm saying. And maybe is the reason why we're dying, the reason why we're not growing, the reason why nothing's happening at home. Is it because maybe we are not saying the things that pertain to the kingdom of God? And if they don't, you need to put it on trial for its life. And if it's not living, if it's alive and not right, kill it. If it's dead, bury it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I know it's a little bit late, but listen, I've been to some of your church and you didn't even get me up to preach until 1030. So don't. Don't complain. This is the last service. Okay. You know it's the truth. Hey, yeah, I know. Remember when I was preaching in Tulsa in the big uh, maybe center in Tulsa? 15,000 people. They put me up to preach at 11 o'clock. And I, I looked at them. I said, you took your time. I'm going to take my time. Don't call me off the ranch and bring me up here and turn the service to me at 11 o'clock and expect that I'm going to preach 15 minutes and make you all happy so you can go buy all that stuff in the foyer out there, including bishop robes and stuff. I said, forget about that. I said, I'm going to preach till I get down. I preached till 10 minutes after 12. I have always had a problem with being a rebel. You all have to excuse me. But maybe God raised me up for a moment like this. Who knows? And if you can hear the Father's voice, I ask you, I ask you, don't let the seed be mingled. I ask you, lay things down that don't work. Quit doing things that don't matter. Quit bringing sacrifices just because you think it's a thing to do. Find out what God's purpose for his kingdom is. And somehow we need to seal this word. Pastor, Pastor Bank, whatever you feel. I love you wow. all so much. Don't go home. Well, why, why don't we just give God the girl uh, a shout tonight before we... It's on. It's on. No, I'm on. Oh, you're on. I'm on. <laughs> Let's give God a shout in the house. <laughs> Let's take a seat just one moment. Just one moment. Papa, we just want to thank you so much for how God has used you 
to spiritual, spiritually alterate our lives these last few days. Amen. I don't know if you feel like I do. In Luke 24, Jesus was walking down the road to Emmaus. house. 